All right, so we are going to be in Matthew chapter uh, 19 and 20 today. Um, if you're using uh, one of the Bibles on the seats there, it's going to be page 874, 875. Um, if you're looking at your own Bible, it's going to be like 75 to 80% of the way through the pages, the first book in the New Testament. Um, and if you're using your phone, like, So, so we, uh, we finished up James a couple weeks ago, and, and we're going to be doing a new series in, in Job in uh, the coming months, um, but for these couple weeks here, um, we're focusing on the reason that any of us are here today, what Jesus did for us um, at the cross and at the tomb. And so... These chapters here, Matthew 19 and 20, are, are leading up. Matthew 21 is when Matthew gets to the, the actual triumphal entry where all the crowds are saying Hosanna. And that's um, where we are today in terms of um, our traditional church calendar of this being Palm Sunday. Um, and so these chapters here are what happens right before the crowds think they understand who Jesus is, but days later call for his crucifixion. And we're going to see some other people that are struggling to understand who exactly Jesus is and what the deal with his kingdom is. So in Matthew chapter 20, we're going to start um, in verse 13, and, and we're going to go through... Um, the end of chapter 20. So we're not going to read everything all at once, um, but we're going to kind of go through and look at this several instances that are surrounding this parable and why Jesus is telling this parable and all these people that are kind of reflected in what is going on of their understanding. And so in verse 13, it says that children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after placing his hands on them, he went on from there. And so these people have brought their children to Jesus, the rabbi. This is a common thing people would do, would, would bring their children to a rabbi or uh, you know, somebody who is um, spiritually mature, who seems to know what's going on, and, and say, would you, would you pray for my children? But we have this issue that the disciples are like, hey, no, not right now. We, it doesn't say if they're reasoning is that Jesus is too busy, that these children aren't important enough, that maybe they're jealous of Jesus spending all his time with the crowds and not enough with them. It doesn't say exactly what the issue is, except that for whatever reason right now, they don't think that these children are important enough for Jesus to see them. And, and if you're reading through Matthew, like, you're really frustrated at this point. Because if you, if you turn the page back to the beginning of chapter 18, in verse 1 it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And keep that question in your mind as we go through our passage today. And he called a child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore... Whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. And we're one chapter later, and much like us, when we hear a sermon on Sunday sometimes, or we read something together in our missional family and say, yeah, I'm going to practice this this week, we get one chapter later, and the disciples have this opportunity to welcome a child 
as they would welcome him. To see that the kingdom is inherited by those who humble themselves. And they're like, no, that's not what the kingdom about. That's not what Jesus' ministry about. You're not important enough. Please don't show up here. How easy it is to lose sight in the midst of everything that is going on, of all of the, the opportunities, the busyness of ministry to say, you know, I don't know if these people matter. I don't know if this group is important right now. And Jesus cuts through all of that and reminds them, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven is for those who humble themselves. The kingdom of heaven is marked by humility. If you're going to be a part of this kingdom, humility is going to be part of your life. And so, this is our first misunderstanding of what this king and this kingdom is all about. And so then, in opposite of these children that don't have any speaking lines, that are rebuked quickly, we have a person who comes up and asks him. And, and we know from the other Gospels that this is, and we know, as, as we've been informed by this heading in, in your Bible, if you're reading the ones on the seats, that this is the rich young ruler. And, and maybe you're somewhat familiar with this part of the story. And he comes up and he asks him, teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? And so here's somebody, right, in this, in this culture, in this context, that seems to have everything going for him, right? He's rich, he's young, he's still got most of his life ahead of him. You know, he's, he's a ruler of, of some kind, according to some of these other passages. It doesn't say exactly what his status is. But as far as, in this, in this culture, he's got money, he's got status, he's got youth on his side, he's a man, so anything that he wants in this context, he's got access to. He's got everything going for him, but he, he still feels that something isn't quite complete in his life. He said, teacher, what good must I do have eternal life. And so he's got a misunderstanding. Which Jesus goes to correct because he's asked and he, he, he's thinking, number one, there's something good I can do to get eternal life. And number two, if he's asking this question, he's already assuming no matter what it is, I'm going to be able to do it. And so Jesus is going to correct him. And he says, why are you asking about what is good? There is only one who is good. It's not going to be you. You're not going to be the one who's just like, oh yeah, here's the one good thing you've got to do, and now you're all set, and you have earned your way into the kingdom. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And so he has this conversation, and, and maybe, you know, there's, there's some level of Man, I, re I really think Jesus is going to give me the answer. So wh which ones do I have to keep? And so he gives him some of the commandments. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Number eight, do not bear false witness. Number nine, and number five, honor your father and mother. And then he concludes with love your neighbor as yourself. And right, if, if we've been reading through Matthew, we can look back and we remember the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus explains that these aren't just don't murder. But if you have anger toward your brother, you messed up. Don't commit adultery. It isn't just don't sleep with someone who's not your spouse. If you have lust in your heart, you messed up. And so Matthew's readers kind of know what's going on here, but the, the young man says, oh, well, I've done all these. Maybe he didn't hear the Sermon on the Mount. Right? 
And so he's, he's heard that Jesus is a teacher that seems to have some idea of what the kingdom of heaven is about. And he wants to be a part of that. He's got everything else in his life going for him. I kept all these, but I, I must still be lacking because I don't feel assured of my place in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, if you want to feel whole, Go sell all your belongings, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, what you need to do, come follow me. The trick isn't selling everything and you'll get into heaven. Jesus knows that, as we see in the next verse, the young man heard and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And so Jesus knows you're not going to be able to follow me, which is how you're going to get into the kingdom, if you're going to hang on to all your possessions. So that's what I'm going to ask for. And he realizes that that's too much because he cares about his many possessions. Whether, whether he realizes that caring about all his possessions when there are poor in the world as Jesus has said is not loving his neighbor as himself, whether he realizes that connection, whether he realizes that valuing these above following Jesus, who he probably doesn't understand as God, valuing these things, idolizing them above God, that's breaking the first couple commandments. Right? He's messing them all up. He, he thinks, yeah, I've done the things that, you know, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't committed adultery, haven't stolen. He thinks he's doing okay. He's just got this one little step to go. And Jesus says, that's not that's not what this kingdom is built on. It's built on following me. And whatever's in the way, if you're not willing to get rid of that, you're not willing to follow me. And if you're not willing to follow me, you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? So Jesus explains to his disciples, because they didn't let the children come, but they were, they were pretty excited. Man, we got this, this rich young guy. He's got, like, everything going for him. Like, imagine what he could do for us. And, and in this, this context, we're going to be able to talk about this more um, at length when we get into Job. Like, having wealth, having possessions was a sign that God had blessed your life. And certainly anything we have right, is a blessing from God. But a lot of people were probably looking at this, and the disciples too, as you can see by Jesus addressing them, they're wondering, well, this is the guy that has everything going for him. Like, look how blessed he is. If he can't get into heaven, what chance does anybody else have? Even though Jesus had just explained that it was those who come like children in humility, who have nothing to offer, who recognize that they're not going to be able to step up to the plate and earn and do whatever good they think it is. Even though that's just been explained, they don't get it. And they're... So he says, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Harder than, than a camel Think of the biggest animal you can think of, and think of the smallest everyday thing you can think of that has a hole in it, a needle, and put it through there. Oh, you can't? That's like rich people trying to get into heaven. And so the disciples are astonished, because everything is the opposite of what they thought. This guy had money and status and power and seemed like a a generally good person as far as keeping the established laws of the land, and he's got no shot, then who can be saved? What kind of kingdom is this? Nobody can get in? And Jesus looked and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
This isn't a kingdom that you earn. This is a kingdom that is a gift. But Peter, but Peter latches on to what Jesus has asked the young ruler to do. Right? Verse 27 of chapter 19, Peter says, See, we have left everything and followed you. Right? Because what did Jesus say? Go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And right, we know from the, the call of the disciples early in the gospel, right? Jesus comes to them and they're, they're on their boats, they're, they're at their job collecting taxes, they're wherever they are, and Jesus comes to them and says, come follow me. And they say, yeah, I'm going to leave my nets right here. Yeah, I'm going to leave the next person in line, whoever is collecting taxes next, because I'm not doing it anymore, I'm following Jesus. And so Peter is voicing what probably more than Peter of the disciples are thinking. Saying, yo, what you, what you said to him, you said that was impossible, but we, we did leave everything to follow you. That is what we did. We have sacrificed. We have made choices that in this life mean we have less. So, what's in it for us? Like, what am I getting out of it? It's just real, raw honesty. Right? He says, so what will there be for us? Like, I, I need to make sure that I've made a wise choice here, Jesus. Like, I couldn't, I, I could go back to my business and, like, store up more stuff for retirement or do more things for my family, take, take care of people because, you know, we're just following you around. And yeah, I guess, you know, we stay at people's houses and sometimes you, like, make a lot more bread than the crowds eat. We get to eat that, but that's not, like, a very secure day-to-day -day plan. You've done all this, like, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll have to take care of you. But there's got to be something more in it for us, right? There's got to be something. Like, can we get this in writing? Can you, like, put it down? Like, yes, for sure you're going to get this. And so Jesus says, Truly I tell you, verse 28, In the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father, or mother, or children, or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many are first will be last, and the last first. So Jesus says, yeah, there is, there is something that comes. Right? When, when my kingdom is established, because you have left these things, there will be blessing, there will be reward for you. And in fact, anyone who follows me if they've, if they've left anything, right? You've got houses, you've got family, you've got fields, which would be all of their possessions. If you've left anything, don't worry about this life. Because in, in my kingdom, there's, there's hundred times more. There's more blessing than you can imagine. And so, so now they're thinking, okay, so we, so we got that. And that, that, feels, that feels good, right? So now we, we know, like, okay, so, so when this kingdom is coming, and, and they all think it's right around the corner, because they're, they're not understanding that this is about to be passion. They're thinking this is about to be coronation. Right? They're not understanding that Jesus is going to die. He's going to tell. He's going to remind them again in, after this parable that he's going to die for the third time, and they're still going to be like, "Yeah, but the kingdom's coming." So what about these thrones? What about our position? What about our status? Yeah, we understand not caring about status in this world, okay? But what about our status in your kingdom? Because you're setting up your kingdom, so that matters. So what's what's in it for us in your kingdom if we follow you? So Jesus tells this parable 
because he's glad, right, that they have left everything and followed him. That's what he calls all of us to do, to follow him. But maybe he's sensing that there's an attitude here that's been festering. And he's wondering, he wants to make sure that his disciples are following him for the right reason. So he tells this parable of the workers of this landowner. And you'll see verse 30, many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then at the end of the parable, chapter 20, verse 16, he concludes it. So the last will be first, and the first last. And so he tells this parable about this guy who owns some land and he needs some workers for it, right? And so he goes out early in the morning because you gotta start as soon as possible because you can't work out in the fields with candles and they don't have electricity that good, right? So you gotta start as soon as possible. And this is something, right? Jesus was familiar with this scene, right? Because he grew up and his dad was carpenter. And so he was probably around these, these areas where people were looking for guys to do certain jobs for a day or two. And, and so the process was you'd go and you'd get a job and at the end of the day, you would get paid for that day. And so then you would have money to be able to buy what you needed for whatever the needs of the next day was. So this guy, he goes out, he goes to the market and he finds some people. And it says, verse two, hires some workers for his vineyard, agreeing with the workers on one denarius, which is a day's wage, he sent them to his vineyard for the day. Pretty good deal, right? You work for a day, you get a day's wage. Right? That's a living wage. That's something a lot of us would like, occasionally. Right? We understand that. Like, hey, they got a good deal. They, they got it in writing. I'm getting a day's wage. Okay. I can work for a day if I'm actually getting paid day, right? Because this, this landowner, right? He could have been like, no, I'll pay you like half a day's wage. But he's the only one out there offering work. Gotta take it. So it seems pretty fair to them. And they're like, all right, we're gonna do this. But apparently there's a lot of work to get done. And this landowner needs more workers. So he says, he goes out at nine in the morning, three hours later, right? And he sees some others and he said, you, go into my vineyard. I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. They didn't haggle about the price. They was just like, okay, hey, we got work. We'll trust that this guy is fair. I don't know if I'd recommend you to do that with your employer. To be like, hey, pay me whatever you want. Right? Because that, that's not when you, you, you know, read articles or you go into, uh, you know, one of those uh, career Advice places, we're like, okay, so what, I have an interview coming up, what should you do? Um, just tell them, you know, if you want to pay me five bucks, that's fine. If you want to pay me 20 bucks, that's fine. If you want to pay me 100 bucks, that's fine. I really don't care. I'm just here to work. That would not be a good strategy for you to go to an interview, right? But these, these people and the people that also get hired at noon and three, he went out again and did the same thing. And so then at five, the day is almost done. He found others standing around and said, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? They're like, we would have worked, but no one hired us. He said, you also go into my vineyard. And so they go as well. And so he's hired people all throughout the day. And so evening comes, and the work is done for the day, and it's time for everyone to get paid. And so he says, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first, which should be our clue to perk up, because that's what this parable is focusing on, right? And so, so the ones who have had the conversation, the most conversation, right, who are at the beginning of the parable were the, the first hour workers. And so they're the ones at the back. So they're watching everything unfold. 
right? They're, they're seeing the guys in front of them who first, the ones who came at five, they each received one denarius. They worked an hour, and they got paid a whole day's wage. You're, these guys in the back are like, yo, this guy's a lot more generous than boss. Like, go an hour, and we work 12 hours? He might pay us 12 whole days' wages. Could you imagine, like, an employer doing that? No. <laughs> you, can't, you can't imagine an employer paying you a day's wage for, for one hour, right? So everybody behind the first hour guys are, like, super excited. Like, wow, look how generous the, the boss was with these people. So when... When the first ones came, they assumed they would get more. All these people have come, and they've gotten a lot more than what they theoretically would have deserved. Right? And so they're like, oh man, we are needing a lot. But, verse 10, they also received a denarius each. Well, that doesn't seem very cool. And so they complain about it. These last men, they put in an hour. And you made them equal to us. And we bore the burdens of the day's work. The burning heat, they sound a lot like me, all the burning heat. It's too hot. But they're complaining. They're like, it doesn't seem fair. And so he replied, to the one who spoke it out, he said, friend, I'm not doing you wrong. Didn't you agree with me on the day? Like, you made a contract. You're the, you're the one who wanted to make sure you got in writing exactly what you were getting out of this relationship. All of these other workers, they trusted me to give them what was Right and fair. Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first So these first workers have gotten themselves all mixed up because they were so focused on getting what they thought was right and fair and just for them. The same attitude that Jesus is sensing in his disciples who, who are worried about what's in it for us. Jesus says, that's not what it's about. That's not what this kingdom is built on. This kingdom is not a mercenary kingdom. This isn't, yeah, Jesus, if you'll pay me enough, man, I'll be a great father. I got it. If you lay out a contract that looks really good, then of course I'm going to work at your kingdom. Of course I'm going to serve. Jesus is saying, this kingdom, it's a generous kingdom. And if it's a kingdom that's built on generosity, why would you bargain with someone who's generous? If you know someone is generous, why would you, why would you want to put a lid on that? Why wouldn't you want to trust them to be generous. Why would you be so worried about making sure it was worth it? When I've said all along that, man, you, you as fathers and parents know how to good give, give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in Heaven give good to those who follow Him? I told you all along Man, he takes care of the birds and the lilies. How 
is he not going to take care of you? How are you not going to be able to trust him? Why are you so worried about making sure that your status, your position, your blessing is at a certain level? Do you not trust me to be generous? Man, what, what you're thinking about who's first and who's last, who's going to be at the end of the line when everything comes down, man, it's, it's going to be all twisted up. This is a kingdom built on humility and service. It's not built on pride, selfish ambition. Man, you're going to get to the end, and you're going to be surprised by who I'm really generous to. You're going to be surprised by what's going on. And I don't want you to be bitter and envious because you're worried about how generous I am to someone else. I don't want you watching what rewards I give to other people. I want you to follow me. I don't want you worried about how do I measure up in this list. I want you coming after me and serving me because I'm, I'm worth it. Because this kingdom is worth selling all your belongings and following me. Not because if you sell all your belongings, you'll get exactly 100 times more of them, and oh man, that's a great deal. No, because I'm so generous, I have to explain it as 100 times more. How could you not trust somebody who's got that much excess to take care of you with? And so Jesus says, after this, this is his prediction, the last time of what's going to happen. Because they're about, they're, they've been leaving Galilee, they've been traveling toward Jerusalem, and they're about to go up and approach Jerusalem. So while going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took his 12 disciples aside privately, away from the crowds, away from everything that's going on. He said, I need you to understand something. We're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests, and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. There's going to be a trial. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. This is where he first explains the specific death he will endure. And on the third day, will be raised. And they aren't, they aren't understanding this, as the next verses will show. And, and John explains in his account, like, in all of these accounts, they understood later on what was going on, but then they didn't have a clue. And we see, because John is in this next story of the disciples not understanding what's going on. So the mother of Zebedee's sons, so the sons of Zebedee are two apostles, Two of the twelve disciples, James and his brother John. And so between them and Peter, those were the three guys that were the closest to Jesus of the disciples, who got the, the most time with him. And so, so they're they're remembering what Jesus said to Peter at the end of chapter 19. Oh, there's gonna be twelve thrones. Right? And so they come with their mother who um, is, is possibly Jesus' aunt. But regardless, all of these people are close to Jesus. So they come, and, and she knelt down to ask him something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right and the other at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus is like, I, I just told this parable about trying to draw up a contract with me. About worrying about what's in it for us. And all of the disciples are probably looking like, why didn't I think of that? Like, I was going to do that this afternoon. They did it this morning. He asked first. Ugh, got shotgun on the right side of the phone. Right? This isn't something that was 
just James and John? Like, Peter was the one that asked the question first. This is all going on. Right? We remember chapter 18 where we had the... Jesus first talked about the, the children. He did it because the disciples asked verse 1 of chapter 18, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I hope the way you explain it means it's me and not Philip. I hope it means it's me and not Andrew. I hope it means it's me and not James. That's what they're thinking. They're like, well, it's got to be one of us 12 because we're the ones that have been there. We're the ones that have spent the time with you. So... We know your kingdom is getting close. Who's the greatest? How's it going to measure up so I can start doing those things to be the greatest? And now, James and John are like, oh, we heard about these frogs. Let's make sure we get the best ones. Jesus is like, no, you still don't understand. You don't know what you're asking. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? See? just talked about what's going to happen with my death. I'm going to explain to you what that's going to do. That's what you're asking. You don't understand what you're asking. He says, are you able to drink the cup? James and John said, we are. Because they didn't understand. And we know later on, Acts chapter 12, James is martyred for his we know later on that John is exiled. He's boiled in oil. All these things happen to them because they follow Jesus. They, they do follow him in suffering. And he tells them, you will indeed drink my cup. He says, but to sit at my right and my left, it's not mine to give. Instead, it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. So when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Not because they were on Jesus' side. They weren't looking at James and John like, guys, of course you couldn't drink his cup. Do you know what his cup represents? It represents him going to the cross and dying for humanity. That's not why they were mad. You're like, how could you go behind our back to get the best spot? How could you do that before? I had a chance to do that. So Jesus, he hears this arguing, this anger, this disruption. He calls his disciples over. He says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high position act as tyrants over them. He says, and that's what you're worried about. You're all frustrated because you think there's this kingdom that's coming and that you're going to be in these positions of power and that two of your buddies have conspired to get better thrones than you. And you're frustrated because now you think that they're going to have a position of power over you and they're going to be able to tell you what to do or whatever it is. Just like these rulers that you're all used to here in this world. Because that's what you think of when you think of rulers, when you think of kings. It says, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He so said, you're so used to this other way of life, this earthly kind of kingdom. I'm telling you, it's different. The character of the kingdom is set by the character of the king. The character of the kingdom is set by the character of the king, and this king is a servant of all. 
This king didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Right? They're, they're still not going to grasp this. It's going to be a few days later, and he's going to be washing their feet, and they're going to be like, what the heck, Jesus? You're our rabbi. You're our master. Why are you doing this? It takes them time to grasp this. They don't understand yet, but he's saying, this kingdom, I've been trying to explain. It's a kingdom marked by humility, not pride. It's a kingdom marked by service, not selfish ambition. And you want to be great? There's 11 guys here you can serve. You want to be the best? There's 11 guys here you can be a slave to. Have you, have you not seen every day as I minister to all these people that you want to turn away. People that are hungry. People that are sick. People that are needy. Have you not seen this whole time that I came to serve? Have you not seen this whole time? I wasn't taking things from people. I was giving. I was giving help. I was giving food. I was giving life. And if you're going to be in my kingdom, then you're going to be marked as someone that is a servant, that is humble, that's not out to see what's in it for them, but is out to see how can I serve someone. Not because you think you're going to get some great reward, but because you know that following God is worth it and He's generous, and that's going to work itself out. But that's not why you're in it. You're not in it for what's in it for me. And so we see this final example of people not understanding who Jesus is at the conclusion of chapter. Verse 29, as they were leaving Jericho, they're heading toward Jerusalem. A large crowd is following them. So the crowd is back apart from this secluded time with his disciples explaining his death. And there are two blind men sitting by the road. And there's this crowd of people and Jesus. And they're coming up the road. And there's these two blind men just off on the side. And they heard that Jesus is passing by. And they've probably heard the stories that have flooded the countryside of this person who is doing some amazing things. And so they cry out, thinking maybe this is, this is our opportunity. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. mercy on us. We recognize you're the Messiah. The crowd demanded they keep quiet. Just like the disciples had tried to keep the children away, the crowd is going to try and make the decision for Jesus. No, we are on our way to present him to the capital city. We are on our way to proclaim him the king. There's not time for two blind beggars on the side of the road. You aren't a part of this kingdom. You aren't Someone who matters. Again, Jesus hears them cry. They cry out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus stopped. And this throng of people is wondering, is he going to rebuke them too? Can, can he tell them I mean, they're calling him. Maybe he'll tell them, hey, be quiet. We need to get on with this procession to present me as king. But Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? How can I serve you? Lord, they said to him, 
the robe to the side and touches your eyes. Immediately, they could see been following along for different amounts of time. The disciples have been traveling with him for almost three years at this point. They've seen all kinds of miracles. They've heard all kinds of teaching. Many in the crowds have seen much and heard much as well. And the only people in this whole swath of narrative that see Jesus for who he is, two blind men. Because everybody's got their eyes on the wrong thing. They're worried about status, position, power, possessions. And Jesus is, says no. The character of this kingdom is humility. I'm going to demonstrate that at the cross. You're going to understand. But right now, you, you don't see it. These two blind men, they see. They understand. They didn't need Jesus to say, hey, follow me. All they asked for was for him to open our eyes. But they followed him. They didn't need him to say, hey, here's Here's the reward for following. We recognize that you're the Messiah. We're going to follow. So I don't know if, like me, you felt akin to those workers who started working at the beginning of the day. I was like, man, if I could just you know, get this, this, or this, then it's worth it to follow Jesus. If I can still have X, Y, or Z going on. Or if you look around and you see other people that are following Jesus, and man, something better seems to be going on for them. Or you're, you're worried that other people seem to be viewed as first or second or third or 25th in line ahead of you. If you're you're worried about what your your status and your position is. I hope like me that this passage was a reminder that if we're following Jesus, our character is going to match him. And people are going to see us as humble and as servants. And so if you're wondering where to start, it's really simple, right? Jesus says, if you want to be great, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, then you're going to be a servant. You're like, how can I, how can I do that? And you have people in this room, you have people in your immediate family, you have people in your, your regular family. Say, yeah, how can I, how can I serve my kids this week? I serve my spouse this week? How can I serve that person in the national family that maybe I don't spend that much time with this week? Without worrying what's in it for you. Right? It's not, man, if I serve my kid, then X is going to happen. Right? Man, if I, if I do something great for my friend or for my spouse or for whoever it is that I'm going to get this out. I'm serving because Jesus was a servant. So if I'm in his kingdom, if I'm in his family, then I'm a servant too. God, we thank you for the example of Jesus. 
we thank you that, as Jesus said in this passage, that he gave his life for us. That though on our own it is impossible, we can't do anything to earn salvation to enter your kingdom, that you have made it possible. And God, we are still frail people that struggle with pride and with jealousy and with greed and with wanting everything to be fair according to our own minds, our own rules. God, please help us to trust you. God, you are a good and gracious and generous God. God, in those areas of our life, those, those parts of our heart where we are tempted to be envious or bitter at you because of what we see going on in someone else's life, we pray that you would block it out. God, that in each of us, you would help us see how to grow in humility, how to grow in service, how to be like our King. So that people from all around wonder, why is that kingdom? so different. It's not like all these other kingdoms in the world. It's because we have a different kind of king. We're so grateful for your love that you have reached out and you've made it possible. We want to give you praise for that. And we know that you will provide the grace and the strength to follow you this week. For those things that would hinder us from following you, whether it's possessions like with the Tremu or anything else, God, we pray that you would loosen our grip fully from us. so that nothing would get in the way of following.